Thank you all for being here this morning. Thank you for, uh, as we're kicking off uh, this announcement of, of doing this big outreach, we could use every single one of your hands. We could use every single one of your prayers. So please, please consider partnering with us uh, and even uh, partnering just with our church and just our church's you know, mission. Will you guys pray with me as, as we start to get into uh, the word this morning? Father God, thank you. Thank you that you love us so much that you sent your one and only son, Jesus, to this earth to die on a cross for our sins. Jesus, you conquered death. You stood in my place. Jesus, you are alive here today and you have sent us your Holy Spirit so that we wouldn't be alone so that we could do these things, so that we could step out in faith, so that we could believe for healing in our family, so that we could believe, Lord God, that we are a new creation in you, that the old man has died. Lord, be with us today. Holy Spirit, move through us today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen, amen. Come on, Jacob, yeah. So we've been going through the book of Romans uh, and I've kind of told you guys before, normally I'm kind of a topical preacher, but I really felt like the Lord say, I want you to walk the church through the book of Romans. And as, I'm, as we're going through it, and as we started at the, at the beginning of the month, and we're going through these chapters, and we're looking at what the book of Romans says, I am realizing how important Paul the Apostle's words, even though he wrote them a couple thousand years ago, how important they are today. The, the book of Romans, let me just kind of uh, give you the, the overarching themes. The book of Romans is kind of like the fundamentals of Christianity. Paul says, hey, let's get, let's get right down to the basics, to the ABCs, right? How many are, are big baseball fans? How many big baseball fans are football fans, right? Football fans, really any sport. And you hear this term fundamentals, right? What does that mean? What does it mean, right? It's the basics. It's, it's, it's let's get back, instead of, you know, worrying about, you know, all of these kind of exterior things, and let's get back to the basics, right? So for baseball, it's catching the ball. It's hitting the ball. It's fielding the ball. It's, those are the fundamentals. Those are the basics. You need to get good at that so you can build upon, and, you know, then you can be a home run hitter. You know what I mean? So don't always swing for the fences. Just Hit the ball, just get on base. Those are the fundamentals. And I, good coaches, in fact, I believe it was Vince Lombardi, was always about, the, the, the very famous Green Bay Packers uh, coach was always about the fundamentals. He was always about, listen, let's not get too carried away with how far you can throw the ball or how fast you can run or how, you know, all these kinds of, let's just be good at the basics and then we can build from there. That is exactly what Paul the Apostle is doing when he writes this letter to the church in Rome. He says, let's get back to the basics. Let's talk about the fundamentals of Christianity. And let me tell you guys something. This is so appropriate for our culture today. Because to be honest with you, everybody has an opinion now. Everybody, especially with social media, especially with everyone's got a blog now and everyone's got a video YouTube program and every, everyone has an opinion. And because everybody has opinion, you can kind of feel this, 
you know, tug and this pull of this, well, I don't know really what to believe. I've even heard Christians say, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what I believe, even about their own faith, their, you know, Christianity, what, what Jesus taught, what he lived. And let me tell you guys something, that is tragic. That is tragic that we are now living in a day and age where you can walk up to the average Christian and ask them, what is it that you believe? And you may get a little bit of a stammering. Uh, well, I, I, I uh, love, you know, and that's good. But what do you believe? What do you stand for? When, when the times are tough, when the world comes crashing in on you, when your enemy that we talked about, when he comes at you, what do you stand for? Or are you pushed around? Are you tossed to and fro? You know what I mean? Paul addresses these things in the book of Romans. It is a great letter. If you're ever in that place, if you would even be truly honest with yourself and say, I've got a lot of questions. The book of Romans will answer all of them. Look at Paul's letter. If you get an opportunity, we're only going to hit three chapters today. And if you have the opportunity to go online and look at some of, uh, of our past, uh, last past few weeks, we have the, uh, you know, my sermons from starting with chapter one. But if you get an opportunity, just read through the book of Romans, however long it takes you. However, if it takes you all year, if it takes you a month, it doesn't matter. Read through the book of Romans. It is the fundamentals of Christianity. It is where we need to start. So let's look at it. We're going to start in Romans chapter 9. We've been, you know, in Romans from 1 all the way to here. And you see a theme. Paul, the apostle, hits all of the hard stuff. He says, basically, Paul kind of says, I got some good news. And I got some bad news. What do you want to hear first, church? You know? And so, of course, he lays out the bad news. He says, guys, sin is real. Sin is a real thing. And Paul says, guess what? All have sinned. All of us. There's not one person in here who's perfect. Okay? Maybe my wife. Maybe. She's pretty darn close. But none of us, none of us are perfect. And Paul addresses that. But then Paul says, okay, now that I just bummed you out, now that I just got you, you know, kind of punched in the gut and you, got, you can't, don't know what to say, Paul says, but guess what? All you have to do is believe that Jesus Christ came and died on a cross for your sins. All you have to do is have faith. That he is the Messiah that was talked about so long ago that has come to set you free. Paul says for, for the wages of sin, that the, the payment of sin is death. The only way, the, how your life is going to end is in death. But listen, you may die physically, but you don't have to die spiritually. Your spirit can go on for eternity with your creator. You do not have to be separated from him. That's the good news. Amen? Amen? So let's get into it. Come on, I love, I love that you're in here, Jacob. He's keeping me encouraged. The little Jacob's encouraging me this morning. Chapter 9, starting in verse 1. With Christ as my witness, I speak with utter truthfulness. 
My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. So Paul jumps into this chapter and he kind of focuses back. He does a lot of talks to the Gentiles, which is us. You guys didn't know what a Gentile was. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. Okay, there's just two types of people Paul's addressing. And the Gentiles and the Jews, okay? So he kind of goes back and forth talking to the Jews and then talking to the Gentiles. Talking to the Jews and talking to the Gentiles. So he's kind of going back and he's talking to the Jewish people again. And he's lamenting. His, his heart is wrenched. His heart is broken. And he said, you know, there's this good news. The Messiah that the Jews have been talking about for so long has finally come. And most of them missed it. Most of them, their eyes were closed to it. They didn't even see him, the son of God, when he was standing right in front of them. And Paul's lamenting and he says, it breaks my heart. And then he he goes on to say, if there was a way I could give my life for them just so that they would believe, I would do it. The irony of that statement is Jesus did do that. There was a person that was worthy enough, that was holy enough, that was, that was pure, that had no sin. The only one that was able to stand in any was place. Jesus did do that. He did die for the Jews. And he also died for the Gentiles. He died for everyone. Nobody, nobody needs to perish. Nobody needs to be separated from God for all eternity. Nobody does. So even though Paul's kind of lamenting over the Jews, and you're going to see more of that through these next couple of chapters, how he just kind of, he's grieving. It's my question to you. Does your heart grieve for those who are still lost? For those who still don't see? For those who still haven't grasped on to the good news? Does your heart grieve? Because it should. We see something in Paul that we should see in us. It should break your heart. When somebody doesn't turn their life completely over to God because we know what the outcome is. It's utter darkness. It's, it's, it's when they come and they finally have to face their maker. When, when they stand before the Lord and if they haven't believed and if they haven't given their heart to Christ and if they haven't asked for the forgiveness of sins. When they stand before God, they will literally hear, depart from me, I never knew you. And that should break your heart. In fact, it should keep you up at night. It, should, it is what should fuel the church. It is what should keep us saying, you know what? We are going to do this every single week. We're going to do this. We're going to go out there. We're going to let people know about Jesus. We're going to let people know that he loves them. We're going to let people know that he died on a cross so they don't have to perish. So that when they stand before him, they will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Verse 4, verse 4, Romans chapter 9, verse 4. They are the people of Israel, chosen to be God's adoptive children. God revealed his glory to them. He made covenants with them and gave them his law. He gave them the privilege of worshiping him and receiving his wonderful promises. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are the ancestors. And Christ himself was an Israelite as far as his human nature is concerned. And he is God, the one who rules over everything and is worthy of eternal praise. 
Amen? Amen. Thank you, Jacob. Dude. So let me explain something here. What, what is Israel's purpose, right? Have you been hearing a lot about Israel lately in the news? Some of, you may, may, some of you may just think Israel's just another nation. They're just another country. They're just another group of people. But really, they are God's chosen people. There is a reason why you, we, you hear a lot of talk about Israel. They were the first people that God revealed himself to through Abraham. He was Abram. And then he turned his name to Abraham and he said, you will be the father of many nations, not just a great nation. He said, many nations, you will be the father of many nations. And, and the whole purpose of him, you know, people say, well, well why? I mean, are, they, are the Jews special? Are they, you know, what is it? God wanted to reveal himself to a world that could not see him, Okay. Because of sin, all right, let's go all the way back to the beginning, Adam and Eve. When God created Adam and Eve, he created them perfect. The world was perfect. There was no sin, okay? Then sin entered the world because Adam and Eve disobeyed God. We all know the story. They, they make cartoons about it, you know, and all this kind of stuff. There's the apple and there's the snake, all right? We, we all know the story. Because of man's sin... Because God is holy, he had to, not because he wanted to, had to separate himself from his creation. But he wasn't going to let sin stop him from chasing after us and letting us know how much he loves us. So he went and he, and he, he, he finds Abraham and he says, I want to use you. I want to make you a great nation so that the whole world will be blessed. I want the whole world to see me, and I'm going to use you, the nation of Israel, the Jews, to do it. The problem was, is the Jews rejected him. We know throughout, if you just go look in the Old Testament, it was just this, you know, back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And then that's when Jesus came. That's when the, the fulfillment of the law came through Jesus Christ. So now let's jump back into, we're going to skip all the way to verse 25. I'm trying to fly through these chapters. Verse 25, concerning the Gentiles, that's us, unless there's Jews in here. Concerning the Gentiles, God says in the prophecy of Hosea, those who were not my people, I will now call my people, and I will love those whom I did not love before. And then at the place where they were told, you are not my people, there they will be called children of the living God. And, and concerning Israel, Isaiah the prophet cried out, Though the people of Israel are as numerous as the sand of the seashore, only a remnant will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth quickly and with finality. And Isaiah said the same thing in another place. If the Lord of heaven's armies had not spared a few of our children, we would have been wiped out like Sodom destroyed and like Gomorrah. God's chosen people, the Israelites, which are, by the way, they are still his chosen people, even though they rebelled against him, even though they turned their backs on him, and even though he had to come in and he had to punish them, he didn't wipe them out. He, he always leaves a remnant. He always leaves, you know, a, a faithful few. But then he turns, and, he, and, and we, we've discovered through, you know, the life of Christ, and now even Paul, we discovered that God's you know, calling, God's 
you know, plan isn't just for the Jews. It's also for us. It's also for the Gentiles. It's also for every single one of us all over the world. And now, this is what's amazing. He doesn't just use the Jews to let people see him. He uses his church. That is the new covenant. There's the old covenant, and now there is the new covenant through Jesus Christ. Uh, verse, let's jump to verse 30, or well, next, verse 30. Still, Israel's unbelief. What does all this mean? Even though the Gentiles were not trying to follow God's standards, that's us again, they were made right with God, and it was by faith, there's that word again, by faith that this took place. But the people of Israel who tried so hard to get right with God by keeping the law never succeeded. Why not? Because they were trying to get right with God by keeping the law instead of by trusting in him. They stumbled over the great rock or called the cornerstone. They stumbled over the great rock in their path. God warned them of this in the scripture when he said, I am placing a stone in Jerusalem that makes people stumble, a rock that makes them fall. But anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. What does this mean for us as, as the Gentiles? Even though that we were not trying to follow God, even though that we were not seeking after God, he still revealed himself to us. It talks about, Paul talks about this, this uh, stone, which is Jesus, that, that the, the Jews just can't seem to understand that he is the Messiah. We are still seeing today, as many Jews still don't believe that the Messiah has come. Yet we are seeing, as you're seeing the church, which are, you know, mainly Gentiles believing that Jesus is the Son of God. And we're seeing this all over the world. It doesn't matter who you are. This is what God's trying to say. It doesn't matter who you are. It, it doesn't matter if you're Jew. It doesn't matter if you're Gentile. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what religion that you came out of, that Jesus says, all you have to do is believe in me. Believe in me. Chapter 10. Chapter 10, verse 1. Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. So he, he goes back there. He's, he's like, listen, I know I'm being hard on my people, but listen, the longing is still that they would be saved. The, my, the longing is still that they would come to understand that Jesus Christ is the Messiah that they're still waiting for. Verse 2, I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it is misdirected zeal. For they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. There it is again. They, they keep, seem to stumble over the fact that they're trying to keep the law. For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all, all who believe in him are made right with God. Listen, we do this as Christians too. We get caught up in the rules, right? We get so caught up, and let me, let me explain that. We get so caught up in, in, you know, I need to be a good person. That's it. As long as I'm a good person. The problem is, and I'm going to be very honest with you, I don't know about you, I am not a good person, okay? I am not a good person. In fact, hang out with me long enough, go driving with me, let's get on the freeway, all right? And you will find that I turn evil very quickly, all right? That all of a sudden curse words seem to fly out of my mouth when I'm in the fast lane, 
And someone from the slow lane who's going 40 miles an hour decides to come all the way in the fast lane. I lose my salvation. None of us, none of us, not one, including me, most of all me, just like Paul says, Paul, Paul starts off, you know, one of his letters to Timothy by saying, I am the chief of sinners. When I'm standing in front of you and I'm saying, repent, I'm telling you that I am the worst of them all. Paul was a murderer. And yet he became an apostle for Jesus Christ. Listen, I don't know where you come from. I don't know what you've done. I don't know how bad you think you are. But there is nothing, nothing that can separate you from the love of God. If even a murderer like Paul can stand in front of the church and encourage them and speak life into them, then so can you. Then so can you. We need to not get hung up in the the rules, okay, they're there, and here's the thing, we don't throw the rules out, but what happens is, is you could become a, a slave to the rules, and you, and by the way, I have seen this in church, okay, I've been around church long enough that everybody starts kind of looking at, mm, you're not doing this, and you're not doing that, and you're not, you know what I mean, everybody's in a different place. The rules are there because we need them, but it's not what saves us. The rules aren't what save you. Okay, the only thing, and Paul stresses it over and over and over because we are children, we need to hear it over and over. The only thing that will save you is faith, is belief that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That is it. So if you go tomorrow and you break one of the rules or you sin or you stumble, guess what? You're still saved. You're still loved. It doesn't get you kicked out. You know what I mean? It's not the kind of religion we are. It's faith and faith alone. And it's your faith, not mine. I can't save you. Only your faith in Jesus Christ. Chapter 10. Let's go to verse 5. For Moses writes... That the law's way of making a person right with God requires obedience to all of its commands. There we go again. Kind of, But faith's way of getting right with God says, don't say in your heart who will go up to heaven to bring Christ down to earth. Or don't say who will go down to the place of the dead to bring Christ back to life again. In fact, it says the message is very close at hand. It is on your lips and in your heart. And that message is the very message about faith that we preach. Here it is, you guys. Here it is, the fundamentals. Here it is, the very core of Christianity. You want to know what Christianity says? You want to know what you have to do to be a part? Here it is. Verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's it. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to be a good person. You don't have to be perfect. You just have to believe. Verse 10. For it is by believing in your heart 
that you are made right with God. And it is by confessing with your mouth. So it needs to be something outward. Remember we talked about baptism. It can't be something that you can hide. It has to be something that the whole world can see. The whole world's got to call you a crazy Christian. All right? You better, people better call you a lunatic. You're a lunatic. You're a crazy Christian. Right? They better be called. They better know who you are. Verse 12, or verse 11, sorry. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Did you hear that? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's nothing Paul said this in, in a chapter ago. There's nothing that can separate you from his love. The minute you call on him, he's there. He's like, I'm here. I'm here. The minute you call upon him, the minute you say, Lord, Lord, the minute you say, come into my life, forgive me of my sins, I believe the minute you do that, he is there. And he promises never to leave you, never to abandon you. Just like he says right here, you will never, if you trust in God, you will never be disgraced. The world may call you names. The world may look at you sideways. The world may call you a crazy Christian, a radical Christian, or whatever it is. But in God's eyes, he will never, ever disgrace you. You will never be disgraced. The only way to be saved by the law, let's go back to the rules. For those of you who say, well, all you have to do is be a good person. Have you heard that before? I just want to be a good person. I just want to be a good person. So here's the problem with somebody saying, well, as long as you're a good person, here's what Paul says. We have to remember that being a good person means you need to be perfect, means that you will be, the standard is the law. So if you say, well, I don't need Christ, I don't, need to, I don't want to become a Christian, I just want to be a good person, well, then the standard you need to keep then is the God's law. And the problem is, is that none of us are perfect. None of us are perfect. So here it is. You have to be saved. You have to confess with your mouth. You have to believe in your heart. You have to trust in him. This is something we all need to hear because we all wrestle, even as Christians, with trusting God. Even I, to this day, even though I've been a Christian for years, I still wrestle with trust. I still wrestle with trust. But can I tell you guys something? God has never failed me. Man has failed me. People have failed me. Family has failed me. You know, the church has failed me, but God has never failed me. Every time I've called out to him, he has been there. He has been there for me. Verse 14. But how can they call on him to save him unless they believe in him? How can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? How can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? This is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring the good news. You guys, that's the question you should be asking. How is the world going to know this secret that we've got? How are they going to know unless you bring it to them? And here's the thing. You all have a sphere of influence. I can't go to your school. I can't go, you know, to your community. I can't go into your home. I can't hang out with your family. That's why God put you there. 
And how beautiful are the feet. How beautiful are the feet that bring the good news. My question for you guys, church, are you doing that? Are we doing that? We have a job to do. When we become disciples of Jesus, we now take on the mantle of being the light of the world. Remember that God had initially come to the nation of Israel and they were going to be the light of the world. They were supposed to be the example. They were supposed to be, when, God, when, when the world saw Israel, they were supposed to see God. But now it's our job. Now it's the church's job. When people see you, do they see God? When people see you, do they see God? Now, I'm not saying, again, don't get hung up in perfection. Don't get hung up on, I got to be, you know, I got to be this perfect person. That's not what I'm saying. But when you're going through hard times, do they see you trusting in God? When, when they see you broken, do they see you calling out to God? When they see you lacking, do they see you believing and trusting that God will provide? You know what I mean? Do, do, do they see those characteristics in you that you know that God is there for you, that he, he, he won't abandon you? Verse 16, but not everyone welcomes the good news. For Isaiah the prophet said, Lord, who has believed our message. So faith comes from hearing, that is hearing the good news about Christ. But I ask, have the people of Israel actually heard this message? Yes, they have. The message has gone throughout the earth and the, wor and the words to all the world. But I asked, did the people of Israel really understand? Yes, they did. For even in the time of Moses, God said, I will rouse your jealousy through people who are not even a nation. I will provoke your anger through the foolish Gentiles. And later Isaiah spoke boldly for God saying, I was found by people who were not looking for me. I showed myself to those who were not asking for me. But regarding Israel, God said, all day long I opened my arms to them, but they were disobedient and rebellious. Listen, we need to not get hung up on whether or not, you know, the Jewish people are gonna, you know, eventually come to know who Jesus Christ is. What we need to be concerned about is, are we being Christ to people, Jews or Gentiles? And the truth of the matter is, is you are going to run into people that when you share with them the good news, they're still going to reject it. That's just the truth. And that's because God gave us free will. And again, don't be concerned about how they react to you only be concerned if you're giving the opportunity. Because to be honest with you, if we keep our mouth closed, then their blood is on our hands. Their blood is on our hands if we don't speak, if we keep this secret to ourselves. Chapter 11. All right, this is it. Verse 1, I ask then, has God rejected his own people, the nation of Israel? Of course not. I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, and a member of the tribe of Benjamin. No, God has not rejected his own people whom he chose from the very beginning. Do you realize that the scriptures say about this? Elijah the prophet complained to God about the people of Israel and said, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. Am I the only one left? And now they're trying to kill me too. And do you remember God's reply? He said, no, I, I have 7,000 others who have never bowed down to Baal. Paul talks about Elijah, and, and there's a story in the Old Testament where Elijah's out there, man, and he is all by himself, and he is, he is fighting. He is out there. I mean, they do this big old thing where, where they build an altar to Baal, and they build an altar to, 
uh, uh, to God and, 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 and Elijah's out there, he's all by himself and then there's all these prophets of Baal and they're all wailing and trying to call down their God and, and, and literally uh, Elijah stands there and, and he says, you know what, I'm going to take this a step further. I'm going to soak with water my altar and God is still going to consume it. And of course he does. He calls down God. Not only does God consume Elijah's altar with fire, but then it even consumes the prophets of Baal's altar, and then, I mean, they, they slaughter them. God completely wipes them all out. Elijah basically wins. He shows his God is real. But then after that, he runs, and he's, he's like crying, and he's lamenting, and he's like, oh, God, I'm all by myself. I'm doing this all by myself. And God says, Elijah, stop whining. There's others out there. Don't worry about it. And I don't know, I kind of, you know, for you Christians who, who you're going at it, and you kind of see, man, I feel like I'm doing this all alone. The world's you know, falling apart. Every time I get on the news and we just feel so isolated and we feel so alone. Let me tell you, you guys, the church is out there. They're fighting. Don't allow fear to grip you because all fear will do is isolate you and get you to shut your, and lock your doors and things like that. But if the church, you, us, if the church all, you know, Christ's church all over the world, if we would unite together, we would be a force to be reckoned with. The gates of hell will not prevail against God's church. Amen? Thank you, Jacob. Dude. Verse 5. It is the same today for a few of the people of Israel have remained faithful because of God's grace. His undeserved kindness is, is choosing them. And since it is through God's kindness that it is not by their good works. There it is again. It's not by works. It's not about being perfect people. It's not about keeping the law. For in that case, God's grace would not be what it really is, free and undeserved. So this is the situation. Most of the people of Israel have not found favor of God they are looking for so earnestly. But a few have, the ones God has chosen. But the hearts of the rest were hardened. As the scriptures say, God has put them into a deep sleep. To this day, he has shut their eyes so that they do not see and closed their ears so that they do not hear. Likewise, David said, let their bountiful table become a snare, a trap that makes them think all is well. Let their blessings cause them to stumble and, and let them get what they deserve. Let their eyes go blind so they cannot see and let their backs be bent forever. Paul's trying to point out that not all Jews rejected the good news. And Paul himself is a Jew. And remember, God chose the Jews to be his people through whom the rest of the, rest of the world would find salvation. But this doesn't mean, and let me explain to you something, this doesn't mean that just because you are a Jew, you get a free pass. And let me tell you how this translates to us Gentiles. Just because you call yourself a Christian, just because you go to church, just because you're a good person does not give you a free pass. It is still through faith. It is still through faith. Paul was trying to make a, a really hard point that just because they have the title Jew over them, just because they were born in the Jewish family, did not give them a free pass. They still have to come to a place of belief on their own. And for us Christians, just because you were born into a Christian family does not immediately that that imparts onto you. Faith still is a, is a personal decision for every single person. It's not something you're born into. It's not something you're married into. It's not, well, if I hang out with a bunch of Christians or even if you go to church, that does not make you a Christian. It's through faith. It is through faith alone. That's it. 
It's simple. It's easy. Yet, why do we struggle with it so much? Verse 11. So did God's people stumble and fall beyond recovery? Of course not. They were disobedient, so God made salvation available to the Gentiles. But he wanted his own people to become jealous and claim it for themselves. Now, if the Gentiles were enriched because the people of Israel turned down God's offer for salvation, think how much greater a blessing the world would share when they finally accept it. All right. I got to jump, man. This is, I'm not going to get through. Dude, it's trying to do three chapters at a time. Um, I do want to jump to verse 19, though. Well, you may say, those branches were broken off to make room for me. Yes, but remember, those branches were broken off because they didn't believe in Christ. See, God talks about these branches being broken off, and these are the, the, these are the Israel, the Jews, who, who did not believe. And then he says this to you. He says, but you were grafted in. You were grafted. You who were growing on a wild bush out there, you were taken and you were grafted in to the family of God. But he says, hey, don't, don't, get, don't get arrogant about that. Don't get arrogant about that. Don't think, hey, now I'm in. I can do whatever I want. You know what I mean? He says, don't get arrogant about that. He says, but, but be humble about that. You, you were not part of God's chosen people, but yet God still came and gathered you up and made him you a part of his family. I, I, uh, this scripture also talks about, um, uh, here it is, I'm sorry, verse 22. Notice how God is both kind and severe. He is severe toward those who disobeyed, but he's kind to you if you continue to trust in his kindness. But if you stop trusting, you also will be cut off. And if the people of Israel turn from their unbelief, they will be grafted in again, for God has the power to graft them back into the tree. The one thing, you guys, that I don't feel like the church stresses enough is that God is love, but that God is also severe. And, and let me ex- explain this because it, I, I don't want you to get the, the impression that, that God is like this angry God. But when you reject him, when you turn your back on him, there is a consequence. And it is severe. Okay, do you hear what, I, what I'm saying? If you reject God, if you turn your back on him, there is punishment. In fact, it's eternal. There's no way out of it. Your chance is right now. And when you turn your heart to God and when you believe in him, then he will pour out his love. He will pour out his kindness. You see, too many churches say, well, come as you are, and just stay that way. You just be whoever it is that you want to be. You do whatever it is that you want to do, and that's okay. The problem is, is that's not scriptural. Jesus does say, come as you are, but then Jesus says, but I'm going to radically change you. You are going to be reborn. You are going to become a new creation. The old person in you is going to die, and you are going to become this brand new person. Thank God, because the old me is a jerk. The old me is, you know, disgusting. But the new me, the, the, the one that Jesus has is, is created me to be, is so different. And he wants the same for you. 
So you have to understand that even though his love is great and is unabounding, and even though his grace and his mercy and his kindness are there for you, if you reject him, though there is a severe punishment, and we don't talk about that enough in church. You guys, our heart has to change. It has to start with belief and faith. I don't know if you guys saw Chris Pratt on the MTV Music Awards, but I'm going to quote him. He said, he said, nobody is perfect. People will tell you that you are perfect just the way you are, but you're not. You're imperfect. That's the truth. Chris Pratt was speaking the truth in that moment. We're not perfect. People might tell you, oh, you're so perfect. You're so, you know, oh, just the, just the way you are. Just the way. Don't change a thing. You know, and, and by the way, there are qualities about you that don't change. The, the God-given ones, the, the giftings that God's given you, the, the, the things that, that remind, you know, you know, you of your God, the Father, you know, those things, those are good qualities. But there's, you know, we got sin. There's some dirtiness in there. That's not pretty. And let's stop putting lipstick on it and calling it pretty. Right? You can't, what is the, you can't put lipstick on a pig and, you know, don't do that. Let's stop doing that. Let's deal with it. Let's call a pig a pig and let's deal with it. And let's say I'm not pretty, but you know what makes me beautiful? Christ within me. Amen? What makes us beautiful, you guys, is Christ within us. What makes us beautiful is when people see us dying to our flesh and living in the spirit. That's what makes us beautiful. That's what God always intended. All right, here we go. Last few verses. I want you to understand this mystery, dear brothers and sisters, so that you will not feel proud about yourselves. Some of the people of Israel have hard hearts, but this will last only until the full number of Gentiles come to Christ. And so all Israel will be saved. As the scriptures say, the one who rescues will come from Jerusalem and he will turn Israel away from ungodliness. And this is my covenant with them that I will take away their sins. What does that mean, Israel will be saved? Well, some believe that in the last days, many Jews' hearts will, will turn, that many, their, their eyes will be opened uh, to Jesus, the Messiah. Some, some believe that this is just even meaning, you know, the church, you know, the Jews and the Gentiles, that all will come, that we're all, you know, under the, the, the covenant, you know, the blessing of Abraham and, and being called to be the light of the world. Either way, Israel will never be rejected by God. Just like the church, you guys, will never, ever be rejected by God. I just want to say this. Some of you, some of you have been wounded by church. Some of you have been hurt by the church. Some of you have gone to places, and this has happened to me. So I, I speak from experience. But I want you to know something. Just like God will never turn his back on his people because he made a covenant with them, God will also never, ever turn his back on his church. Now, there might be imperfect people, and to be honest with you, we're all imperfect churches, but God won't turn his back on his church so that when we gather like this in his name, he will be here. He will be here. Maybe, you know, maybe there, there is a church that God's calling you to, you know what I mean? Maybe there is a place that can maybe a little abusive or, or whatever it is. I'm not saying that, that you have to necessarily go back to that situation, especially if you feel like God's calling you out of this, but understand this, don't forsake the church. Don't forsake 
the church at large because God still, his plan is to still use the church to be the light of the world. That's just what I want to say. Don't forsake not going to church just because of one experience or maybe a couple of experiences. Will you bow your heads and, and close your eyes with me? I know that was a lot and I even skipped a lot. While everyone's head is bowed and eyes are closed, I just want to ask this question. Paul repeats it over and over and over again. The only way to salvation, the only way to be saved is belief in Jesus Christ. That is it. You can't get there by being a good person. You can't get there by following a set of rules. You can't get there on your own power or on your own beliefs. It is only belief in Jesus Christ. So I ask you this. If you have never, ever, ever accepted Jesus Christ into your heart and into your life, and you would like to make that decision right here and right now so that you know when you stand in front of God on that day, that you will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. If you'd like to make that decision today, will you just simply, while everyone's eyes are closed and headed about, would you just simply slip up your hand just so that I can see, just in the privacy of this own moment? Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Maybe you have made that decision before, but you feel distant from God. Maybe the church has hurt you Maybe people have hurt you and you're kind of taking it out on God. But you're feeling like today, you know what? I, I want to come home. I don't want to run anymore. I don't want to be hurt anymore. I don't want to be angry anymore. And you would just let God heal you today. And you would say, you know what? I, I want to make a recommitment to the Lord today. Will you just simply slip up your hand just so that I can see it, just so I can be praying for you? believing with you, if that's what you would say here today. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Father God, come. Be with us today. Heal our brokenness. Heal our hearts. Show yourself mightily to us. Show yourself real to us. Let us feel you. Let us see you. Let us experience your goodness, your graciousness. Lord, let us experience your love this morning. I also want to encourage you, if you've never, ever been baptized, if you've never, ever been baptized and you want to do that, we're doing it this Saturday. If you would say, you know what, I want to make that outward expression of what is happening inside of me, and I've never, ever done that before, and I want to do it, I welcome you. Email me. We'll do it. We'll do it. Remember, Paul talked about it, dying with Christ and being reborn. Paul even addressed it in the book of Romans. Will you guys stand with me? We're going to go back into time of worship, and 